And, and so uh, the Bible is clear that as Christians, we're called to be joyful. And so even though we're going to read the entire chapter, and I promise I won't keep you here all day, we're going to read the entire chapter together. Uh, and in this chapter, you don't find the word joy explicitly mentioned. But there are themes throughout this chapter that resonate uh, with this idea of joy and joyful obedience. Obedience is explicit in this chapter, but joy is found in phrases throughout this chapter. And so we're going to look at that together today. Uh, If you would please go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll read Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin." For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you um, for your love and grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the power that it has to change lives. Lord, to convict us of sin, to show us how to walk more closely with you, to teach us who you are. Lord, in these moments, Father, I pray that, that I would decrease and that you would increase. Father, that you would be honored to use me uh, during this time to speak your truth. Thank you for each and every person that's here. And Lord, we pray that we would be changed by the things that we hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to share with you as we get started this morning 
uh, a headline that I read on CNN. I read on CNN.com uh, actually yesterday, and it just kind of grabbed my attention. It had uh, a, a huge picture of fireworks in Sydney, Australia, and the headline read like this. It said, Weary of 2016, world celebrates new year, new possibilities. And I thought that was a really interesting headline because, first of all, I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's pretty audacious for a news organization to just speak for the entire world population that we're just all weary of 2016, right? So I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but then the second thing that struck me is it said, new year, dot, 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 new possibilities, new possibilities. And so as I began to think about uh, our time together today and as I began to think about um, the way that many people all over the world approach a new year. There's celebrations, there's fireworks, there's, there's all kinds of parties and big things happening all over the planet. And many people are just simply hoping for better circumstances. They're just hoping that tomorrow will bring a better day than yesterday did. And it's implied, again, in this idea that we're weary of 2016, that there's problems that, that each of us are facing, that we're going through. And I think that's a, a very uh, simple truth. If we're honest, none of us have perfect lives, right? None of us have it all together. And so we're walking through life, and, and we do hope in many ways for a better tomorrow. And so thinking about 2016, I want to ask you to just kind of pause and be still for just a moment. I want to ask you this question. What was your biggest problem or your biggest challenge in 2016? What was the hardest thing that you faced? Just take just a moment and think on that. Probably right away there were uh, a couple of thoughts that jumped right into your head. Boom, I know exactly what that was. Especially if it was something big, I remember or I know exactly... Uh, what it was that was, was hard for me or difficult for me in this past year. But I want to, whether that problem is resolved or not, whether it's ongoing, whether it's going to carry into this new year or not, I want to just stop today and remind you that the biggest problem that you face in life is not some financial situation. It is not a marital issue. It is not a terror threat, a health problem, a missed opportunity, or a past failure. The biggest problem that you have today and that I have today is sin. The biggest problem that we will ever face in this life is sin. And the second biggest problem that we will face in this life is the result of sin, and that is death. Death. That one day, um, we, you and I, will die. Uh, and, and the reality of that is something that we don't want to spend a whole lot of time thinking about, if we're totally honest. We don't want to spend much time marinating on that thought. Let's just busy ourselves. And we see that in our culture oftentimes. But I want to stop and take a look at Romans chapter 6 and bring your attention to verse 5 and 6, because this is the source of joyful obedience. This is the source of joyful obedience that we find in Romans 6 verses 1 through 11 together. Uh, And I think verses 5 and 6 kind of summarize it well for us. Says this, for if we have been united with him, with Jesus Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so, 
that verse tells us this. You have a problem. And Jesus has solved your problem if you know him. Verses 1 through 11 are a theological reflection on unity with Christ, oneness with Christ, and the power of the gospel for every person who is saved. And verses 5 and 6 tell us, you have a problem. That problem is that you're going to die. And Jesus has the solution for that problem, the resurrection. Not only that, you have a problem that leads to that first problem that I mentioned, your death. And that is your sin problem, that literally each and every person on the planet is controlled by and compelled by our sinful nature unless, by the grace of God, we turn from our sin, we repent, and are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have good news. We have a problem, but we have good news for this problem. Jesus came and lived on this earth and died on a cross so that we could be forgiven. And we could have our sinfulness removed and have our relationship with the God of the universe restored if we would believe in him. Um, but perhaps you're like me. But perhaps you're like me. If uh, I'll, I'll share with you. Some of you already know. I, I walked through a little bit of a difficult time this past Thanksgiving. This past Thanksgiving. And I forgot that my sin was my biggest problem. And I began to look around at some of the other things that were happening in my life and some of the circumstances in my life, and I began to lose my joy. I began to lose my joy because the reality is if we forget that our own sin, not the sin out there, but our own sin is our own biggest problem, we will absolutely lose our joy because here's the reality. Life is full of problems. Life is full of difficulty. Life is full of hard things. And one of those hard things hit me uh, This past Thanksgiving, I was with my family in South Mississippi, and as I was down there, I had a student who I had invested in, and for those of you that know, I was a youth pastor in Texas before coming here, and I got to meet with uh, several kids and really invest in several kids in a a personal way um, for many of those years as a youth pastor, and one of those was a young man by the name of Chase, and Chase and I met every year, uh, or every, uh, excuse me, day, Fridays on uh, his senior year. So we met every Friday his senior year. And uh, as we were doing that, obviously, we became close. And I got to see Chase go from someone who really didn't know Jesus to someone who was saved to someone who would, was happily, joyfully obeying Jesus and telling others about him. And uh, it was just an incredible time. Chase was 21 years old and uh, was a senior at Baylor and was home visiting some people in a hometown in Mississippi as well. And his mother called me at 4 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving and said, Michael, I need you to come to Jackson. Are you in Mississippi by any chance? I hadn't talked to them in over about, uh, I don't know, six months. And I said, well, sure, Nancy. What's wrong? She said, Chase has had a brain injury and he's in the hospital and he's in a coma and it doesn't look good. Can you please come? And so... That Friday morning, I left, and I spent Friday and Saturday in a hospital in Jackson uh, with his family and with my friend. And there were Christians all over the world, uh, or all over our nation, literally, all over our nation, uh, praying for him, praying at Baylor, praying in Tennessee, praying in Mississippi, praying uh, here in Missouri. There were Christians praying for him, that he would uh, be healed by some miracle. And uh, he wasn't. The Lord decided to take him home. Uh, despite the prayer of many Christians asking for his life to be spared after about 10 days. And in the weeks following, even though I knew the truth, I've been to seminary. I've been trained theologically. I know 
the right things. But I struggled with joy. I was still seeking the Lord. I was still being obedient, but I was doing it as a duty. I was doing it because this is what I'm supposed to do. And I had lost my joy. And it was like every day just seemed a little bit hollow. And God seemed to be silent. I said, Lord, I, I don't understand. If I could just understand, I really think that, that I could move past this and I could feel better. And I was literally uh, praying at home on my couch a few days ago. And as I was doing that, um, you know how we, you, you say prayers and sometimes the Lord waits years and years and he answers years later. And sometimes the Lord answers, boom, immediately. And I was praying on my couch, and I said, Lord, I, I am stuck, and I know I'm stuck, and I've lost my joy, and I need, I need you, Father. I don't know how to get it back. And um, of all things, there was a um, video on Facebook, of, and it was a testimony of another believer. And through this testimony, God reminded me of this simple truth, and he restored my joy. He reminded me that he has already dealt with my biggest problem through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? He dealt with Chase's biggest problem through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Chase now sees the goodness and the glory of God more clearly than any of us. And one day, I will see him again in heaven. And more importantly, I will be with my God forever in heaven. And so, friends, I, I am here to tell you, if you've lost your joy, if you're struggling with your joy... Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Marinate in the gospel. Rest in the gospel. Don't look for other things. We don't graduate from the gospel, as Spencer often says. The reality is we need to be reminded each and every day that we serve a big God. And he's bigger than our, any problem we'll face in this life, and he's bigger than our sin. And he has died to set us free. And so in John chapter 16, verse 33, uh, God used this to speak to my heart. It just says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen, right? Amen. It's not so that in your circumstances you may have peace. It's not so that in your friends or your family you may have peace. It's so that in Jesus Christ and him alone, we can find our peace. It's not so that we can overcome the world. It's because he has overcome the world for us. And in that, in his overcoming by his death and resurrection, the simple truth of the gospel is the foundation and it is the bedrock of our faith and our joy for those of us who know Jesus. So the source of joyful obedience. It's one thing to obey. It's an entirely different thing to obey joyfully. And if you are a Christian here today and you want to obey Jesus joyfully going into 2017, my plea to you this morning is to spend time with the Lord thinking, praying, and praising Him for the gospel. Think on the gospel. The second big idea that, that we see in this passage is the submission of joyful obedience. So it's kind of the joy piece is in verses 1 through 11. But now we look at the submission of joyful obedience in verses 12 through 14. In verses 12 through 14, I want to read these together. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 
Verse 14 is a very interesting verse. It says, Sin will have no dominion over us because we are not under law but under grace. Essentially, sin has no power over us. It cannot condemn us as it once did. But then if you're a practical thinker, as, as I tend to be, there might be a question that arises in your mind and just simply says, well, if I'm a believer and sin has no dominion over me, why do I still sin? Why do I still struggle? Why don't I experience an ongoing victory over sin? And I want to try to answer that question for you today. And the way that we do that is by making sure that we understand verse 14 well. That we understand verse 14 well. It does not mean that we will never sin. It simply means that sin can no longer condemn us. That we are no longer under its power. And here's, here's the best way that I can try to illustrate that. We're all familiar with our justice system. We're all familiar with even, uh, on some level, the idea of a prison. A prisoner who is in the domain of a jail does not have a choice about when to sleep, when to eat, when to come out of his cell. Everything, everything is determined for him due to his own breaking of the law. But for those of us that know Christ, it's like we have been moved from the inside of the jail cell to outside the prison walls. We are no longer in the place where sin defines us and determines everything about us. We are no longer in that domain. We're still lawbreakers. We've still broken the law. The difference between a lost person and a saved person is the grace of Jesus Christ, right? It's faith in his grace and his goodness. But we're still lawbreakers. And so we've been simply moved from the prison of sin and transferred to God's kingdom. Let me ask you this question. Can a prisoner who's been set free break the law again? Yes, absolutely. And so can you and so can I. After being saved, we can choose to come back and break the law again. God's good and holy and perfect and righteous law. And so it's not, it's not that we don't sin anymore. It's very simply we have the freedom and the choice not to sin anymore because, not of anything in us, but because of God's righteousness and goodness in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. So, let's now kind of back up that we know uh, verse 14, and let's look at verse 13 carefully. So the question still remains, all right, Michael, I get it. I'm not anymore in the domain of sin, but on a practical level, what can I do to keep fighting sin in in my life? What can I do to experience joyful obedience in my life? Uh, Verse 13, Paul gives us a very clear answer. He says... Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. As instruments for righteousness. So, he tells us, and and I want to be really careful that that I get this right, so I'm going to just essentially repeat what he says, but that we have a choice each and every day that we wake up, you and I have a choice. Either A, to present our members to sin for instruments of unrighteousness, or to present our members to God for instruments of righteousness. And here's here's what that might look like. Uh, For those of you that have had children or uh, have been around young children for any amount of time, uh, and there comes a point when you're around them, and, and obviously they need to be taught things, right? They need to be taught all kinds of things about life and um, just 
from the very most basic things. And so uh, they don't have very good motor skills even. And, and so what happens is you'll be spending time with a child, and uh, it'll become time to, they want to build with blocks, right? They want to build with building blocks. And so every time they try to put the block on the top, it falls off. Or uh, they're trying to, to feed themselves, right? And somehow the, the spoon's like in their ear, right? And, and so these motor skills aren't developed yet. And what you can do as a parent who has these skills is to look at the child and to simply place their hand in yours and say, here, let me show you how to do this, right? Let me guide you. Let me lead you. And so you take the block, you take the spoon, and you do it for them, with them. And in that moment that you take your child's hand, your child has a choice, right? Your child can gently, passively allow you to lead them. Or your child may do like my Audrey. No, Daddy, I do it, right? And pull back. And, and here's the reality, friends. I think many times God leads us. God is guiding us. He speaks to us. Hey, go talk to that person over here. Hey, I want you to, to surrender this part of your life to me. Hey, I want you to do this over here. And what happens is many times in our lives, we look at our, our heavenly daddy and we say, no, daddy, I do it. We take matters into our own hands. And any time that we do that, it's sin automatically. We don't even have to carry on some other action out here. We're already in sin because when we say, no, daddy, I do it, it's rebellion against a holy God. We're saying, Lord, I'm big enough. I got it today. I'll handle it today. And so how then do I present my members to God in this way? The way that you present your members to him is to very simply say, Lord, each and every moment that we wake up, Lord, I can't do this today. I need you. I need you to guide me today. And so we spend time in prayer. We spend time with him in his word. We spend time praising him. We spend time renewing our minds and asking him to renew our hearts. And as we do that, we're simply saying, Lord, I'm yours today. You lead me. You guide me. You show me how you want me to do this. And that is walking by the Spirit. That is what we are called to do because we cannot do it on our own. Just, just as, as real as it is that our one-year-olds and two-year-olds can't put the spoon in their mouths, we cannot walk with God and please Him in and of ourselves. We need Him to do it with us and for us. And so to the degree to which we can depend on Him and rely on Him and rest in Him moment by moment is the degree to which we will see this submission of joyful obedience to him. The submission of joyful obedience to him. And so um, we've seen the idea of the source of our joyful obedience is the gospel. We've seen what it looks like to submit to Jesus Christ through joyful obedience, which is simply a sweet surrender, a spending time with him, a seeking after him. And then lastly, I want us to look at the knowledge of joyful obedience, which is in Romans 15 or uh, verses 15 through 23 of Romans 6. Verses 15 through 23 of Romans chapter 6. Two things that every believer knows in this passage. And I'll, uh, I'll read it, and then I'm going to kind of go through and highlight a couple of thoughts as we, as we work through this together. Verse 15 says, What then? Are we to sin, therefore... Or, uh, excuse me, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? 
By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at, the time, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul kind of points out two things that every joyful believer knows. Two things that every joyful believer knows. Number one, every joyful believer knows that everyone is a slave. It's just a matter of who are you going to be a slave to. I'll say that again. Every joyful believer knows that everyone is a slave. It's simply a matter of who are you going to be a slave to. In verse 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? And so I think in our American culture, and rightfully so, we don't like this idea of slavery. It has a terrible connotation. And we, when we hear it, we don't want anything to do with it. And so when we hear this idea that I would be a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin, we say, I don't want either one of those. I want to be free, right? I want to be free. I don't want slavery. And that would be a right call from our hearts, but it would be a misunderstanding of this truth. It would be a misunderstanding of this truth. The only time, friends, you are ever free in this life is when you're a slave of Jesus Christ. It looks like a bunch of rules. It looks like a bunch of to-dos and don'ts and, and a bunch of stuff. But there is a great difference in doing whatever you want, which is how our society defines freedom, and doing what you're made to do. Doing what you're made to do. Uh, the best way that I can try to, to help us think about this is food. And I like food, right? I like to eat. I ate way, way, way too much at Thanksgiving. I ate way, way too much the few days after. And I ate way, way too much again at Christmas, okay? Um, I like food. But uh, it helps me because in my struggle with self-control in that area, uh, there's, there's two essential extremes when it comes to food. You can say, uh, you know what? I'm going to fast and I'm not going to eat. I'm just, I'm just not going to eat for however long I can go, right? I'm just going to fast, and I'm going to just go on this extreme over here. I spend so much time, I waste so much time on this whole food thing, thinking about what I'm going to eat, actually eating it, yada, yada, yada. I'm just not going to worry about any of that. I'm just going to not do it. And so we can take that extreme. Or the other extreme, which is more towards the way I went this past Thanksgiving and Christmas, is I'm going to eat whatever I want, right? But in either extreme, in either extreme... Where do both of those lead if you do those forever? It's death. See, it's death. I'm going to do this over here. I'm not going to eat anything. That's what I want to do. You die. I'm going to eat everything I want to eat. I'm going to eat everything I want to eat. You die. So what do you do? You do what your body is made to do. You use it as fuel for your body 
not as comfort or some source of satisfaction or something like that. You use it the way God intended food to be used. And there you find freedom. You find health, right? And the same is true for every area of our lives. Freedom is not doing whatever I want to do. Freedom is doing what I'm made to do. And friends, what you are made to do is know and walk with God. And Jesus has said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Because he's God and we're not. And so we don't get to come to him on our terms. We come to him on his terms. And he said, if you want a right right relationship, if you want to be truly human, here's how to live. And so he gives us how to live, not because it's his way, but because God knows what's actually good. And his ways really are good. So that's the first idea that we have to understand is, is to think correctly about freedom because freedom is such a huge lie in our culture. That's kind of the, the first big lie that's out there in our culture is what is freedom? A second lie that's closely related to freedom and, and the way that our culture defines it. A second lie is uh, the lie of control. The lie of control. That, hey, this is the 21st century. We live in the greatest nation on the planet. So we have control. We can control the other nations through our military might. We can control our circumstances through our technology. We can control our health through our medicine. We have control. Um, I saw a State Farm commercial that actually said this. It, 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 it was really interesting to me. It said... Um, the title at the end of it just said, boom, in these big, 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 bold letters, here to help life go right, State Farm. I thought, wow, that's all I need. I just need an insurance policy. My life's going to go right, right? No, no. There are so many things that our society sells us and says you can have this through control. You can have your joy. You can have your dream. You can have your goal through some sort of control. Friends, we don't have control. Uh, something that happened to me just recently that God really used in my own life to illustrate this for me was my friend that passed away. I was trying to, his mother asked me to do his funeral. I was trying to get to his funeral. And so um, he was going to be buried in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I leave, uh, I plan to leave my house at 9 a.m. Uh, the day before, Friday, and depart and be at his funeral. And literally, we get the things, get everything in the car, get kids, get everything situated. And my, my lovely wife looks at me and she says, I think I'm about to be sick. Sure enough, you know, she's as sick as she can be. And so I'm like, all right, let's get her stuff out of the car. Let's get Audrey's stuff out of the car. Let's unpack. Let's get them situated. So I, I frantically am calling. I call the Wolgamits and, and they were so gracious and said, yeah, we'll take your child and so then I went to the grocery store, and I got some a few things for my wife to get her kind of situated. And then I said, all right, now I'm going. I'm getting out of here. i got to go. And uh, the, the only problem was what had been happening since about 7 a.m. that morning was this little thing called, well, I can't remember what the name of the storm was, but it was an ice storm. It was an ice storm. And so the ice is just pouring down, and the roads are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And so I dropped the stuff off uh, with my wife. And I'm literally walking down a hill. Our, our driveway has a big hill. And I'd already scraped the driveway once. And, and as I'm scraping it, then I slip and I fall, boom. And I slide all the way down my hill on the ice that I thought I'd just scraped off, right? 
So then I get in my car. It's now closer to 11 o'clock at this point, and I start driving. I'm going to go through St. Louis, and then I'm going to go down, and I'm going to get to Nashville in about seven and a half hours. Friends, it took me about three hours to get to Kingdom City. I got to Kingdom City, and then I sat in, uh, sat in standstill traffic for about another three hours at that point. And I realized, oh, no, I can't drive myself. I'm in trouble. I need to book a flight. So I call the airport, book a flight, and uh, 9 p.m. It's about uh, 2 or 3 p.m. at this point. And so I think, okay, I've still got six and a half hours to get to St. Louis. I'm at Kingdom City. This is going to happen. Didn't make it. I got to St. Charles, and I sat another three hours in St. Charles. Boom. Stand still. Gridlock. And I had to embarrassingly call this family and say, I'm so sorry. I literally, because I, I called the airline, I canceled my ticket. I said, can I get the next flight out? I said, sir, I'm sorry. All the flights are booked. We've actually got a waiting list for, for days. The earliest we could get you there is we don't know when. And so I had to call the family and tell them, I'm so sorry, I, I can't make it. And I was so frustrated. And, and in that moment, it was just like God just kind of whispered to me. He said, number one, Michael, you're not in control. And number two, they don't need you, they need me. And it was just like God just kind of taught me the hard way. I thought I was in control for all the technology and the, and the weather forecasts that we have and the flights that we have and the vehicles that I had. I thought I had what it took to get me there. But I didn't. And friends, I'm telling you, you don't have what it takes to get you there. Whatever your goal is, whatever your New Year's resolution is, I'm not trying to poo-poo on that. But what I am saying is our biggest problem, our biggest need is not something out here. Our biggest problem, our biggest need is for our sins to be forgiven. And God has accomplished that for you and for me. Okay? So, to remember, uh, what freedom is truly is to do what we're made to do. And what we're made to do is know Jesus Christ and live with Him. Uh, So, the first thing that every believer knows, every joyful believer knows, is that everyone's a slave. It's just a matter of what you will be a slave to. The thing that you place your joy in, the thing that you try to find satisfaction in, that is what you are a slave to. That can be a house, that can be a car, that can be a relationship, that can be whatever. Whatever, Wherever you place your joy, that's where you're enslaved. And so instead of placing it in some earthly temporal thing, friends, place it in the eternal King, Jesus Christ. And then the second thing that every joyful believer knows, the second thing that every joyful believer knows, is the fruit that awaits us. The fruit that awaits us, found in uh, verses 21 and 22. Before we do that, I want to back up for just a second because in verse 17, uh, I almost missed something that I think is just crucial. Verse 17, Paul uses a phrase that is just so important. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become, this phrase right here, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. If we're going to be joyful, friends, this is essentially why we need to to read our Bibles and why we need to have our minds renewed because day in and day out, the world is screaming at us, joy is found in other places, joy is found in other things, joy is found in other stuff, not in obedience to God, not in walking with God. That's boring. But this phrase, obedience from the heart, when we come to a place in our lives, we, we are convinced in the core of our being that God is great 
and good and glorious, and that his ways really are absolutely, without a doubt, the best way, period, no questions asked. Friends, that's when we're free. That's when, that's when joy is just, it's, it's a privilege. It's an honor. It's fun to obey God. It's not boring. It's not a drudgery. When we come to a place in our lives where we're convinced of that, there was a, uh, a friend of mine who had a dog, and he would go, he was a guy that ran a lot. He ran and ran, and um, it was kind of neat. He would run, and for a while he had his dog on a leash, and then after a few uh, days of doing that, not long at all, he just took, he said, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just going to try to run with this dog while it's on a leash. Now, most dogs, that's a disaster waiting to happen, Right? But he, he takes the dog off the leash, and they just start running. No problem. The dog just stays right beside him the whole time. Just runs and runs and runs and runs. And he said, at first he was just kind of amazed, and then he started running more. And he said it literally got to where he was running, and people would stop him while he's running and say, Hey, how would you get your dog to do that? And he'd say, I don't know. It just, just happened. And he said, Then I changed my answer. He said, you know, I just came to a place where I realized my dog is convinced it's just better to be with me than it is over there. And so he started telling people that. My dog just likes me better than that other stuff over there. And, and friends, that's what it means, this phrase, to be obedient from the heart. You're just convinced. It's just better to be with Jesus than it is over there. I don't want that stuff. I want Jesus. And so that is, um, again, when, when we look at this, this theme of obedience, that's not drudgery. When you're doing that, when you're saying, man, I, I just know it's better with Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. That's not drudgery. That's joyful obedience. All right. Now, uh, the, the second thing that, that every joyful believer knows is the fruit that awaits. The fruit that awaits. Found in verses 21 to 22. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the second thing that every believer knows is the fruit that awaits them. They see, they have this ability. They have the ability to see a few steps down the road. They can see down the road and they can see, you know what? I see that sin over there, and it may look attractive immediately, right here, right now. But what happens past that sin? What happens if I commit that sin? What's awaiting me? And in verse 21, it tells us, what awaits us is shame and death. You ever been ashamed of a sin you committed? I have. What awaits us is not freedom, it's not fun, it's not good, it's shame, immediately. And then shortly after that, is death, because sin, the wages of sin, is death. And then for those of us that are convinced, that are obedient from the heart, that desire to know and walk with God, it's the direct contrast of that. It's the opposite of that. It's not shame, it's sanctification. And sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. Christ was the ultimate man. He was the ultimate human. He was the perfect one of God. So what literally is the opposite of shame, is to be a dignified human. And you know what? You don't get any more dignified than looking like Jesus. And so to be 
sanctified, to look more and more like him, to be conformed to his image day by day, moment by moment, as I joyfully obey and seek him. That is what awaits us. And then lastly, it's not just that. The end of that is eternal life. It's life everlasting with God forever in eternity. This is the truth that every believer knows. He knows, man, if I'm going to be joyful, I've got to realize I'm going to be a slave to something. Who am I going to be a slave to today? My own sin, my own self, or Jesus? And man, my life is reaping fruit one way or the other. Is my life reaping shame and death? Or is my life reaping sanctification and eternal life? Those are my two choices. Which will I choose today, death or life? So I want to close today um, by just asking you two, two questions. And I, 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 my hope and prayer is that, that God would allow you to reflect on these questions and think about these things in light of a new year. But the first question is, number one, how's your joy? How's your joy? I have a, a friend who I'm very thankful for that on occasion will text me that, just kind of randomly. How's your joy today? And it makes me stop and check myself. Where is my joy today, Michael? Is it in the stuff out here? Or is it in the reality that God has dealt with my biggest problem? And then, just to say this to you, if you don't have it today, if, you, if you're hearing this and you're, man, I want that, but I'm not there yet. Don't be condemned by that. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Go to the one who can change that. Go to Jesus. Spend time with him. Seek him. Think about his gospel. Think about what he's done for you. Think about what that means, that your future, no matter what 2017 holds, is secure, period. Think on that. And then number two, question number two, where is he calling you to deeper obedience and joyful submission? None of us live perfect lives. And we need to think intentionally about how we can more closely walk with him. Essentially, this question that Spencer asks often, he said, you just look at people and he'll ask you, okay, you're a believer, great. What's your next step? What's your next step? Where can you more joyfully, more closely walk and obey Jesus Christ? Um, essentially, this. Where in your life can you say, Daddy, I can't do it, but I trust you. Let's pray together. Lord, God, we love you. And Father, we thank you that you have dealt with our biggest problem. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to come and live um, a perfect life, a sinless life on this earth because we couldn't. And he fulfilled your law and he obediently died on a cross and rose again three days later because death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't keep him. God, we thank you that, that joy can be found only in you. And Lord, we pray that you would guide our hearts, that you would help us to see the, the truth of your word, and God, that you would allow us to submit to you moment by moment, day by day, and to love you and walk with you more closely in 2017. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us this, this morning?